Hi, and welcome to today's meeting of Book Hoarders Anonymous. Let's all begin by introducing ourselves. Hi, I'm Shannon, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi Shannon. Hi, I'm Aaron, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi Aaron. Hi, everyone, and welcome to 2015 Book Hoarders Anonymous, episode 29. Ooh. I am Erin, being all dramatic today, and... <laughs> and I'm Shannon. And we're happy to be here on this brand new year. Um, we'll talk about reading goals and challenges and all sorts of fun things, as well as, of course, any little news items for the month that we happen to find. And also our homework for the month, which is The Christmas Train by David Baldacci. I almost said William Baldacci. I don't know what I'm thinking, but that's okay. <laughs> and on an awesome news note, we are going to start out, at least, with some listener mail. Woo! Um, we had not that in a while. I know. I know. We had James email us, and he says he loves the podcast. He's visually impaired. He likes to read a lot, uh, especially... Uh, John Grisham, Dean Koontz, and James Patterson. Um, he started reading Karen White books, and he's getting into those. I've never read any Karen White. Um, Why is that name familiar? I feel like I, I don't know. It. I feel like I should know it too, but I can't. Like I can't. I'm, maybe I'm thinking of Karen Kingsbury. I think uh, that's what I was thinking of. Because okay, he, James, who's Karen White? <laughs> he he was enjoying reading all about Karen White books about the area of South Carolina. She, he has read every book on Kindle by Karen White, except for The Long Time Ago, which I guess he's recommending to us because he hasn't read it. I, I don't know. Karen White? That name, like, sounds really familiar, too. I, I don't I don't know. Anyway, I'm mystified. Did I read something by Karen White and not know it? Um, but anyway, he says that The Christmas Train is one of his absolute most favorite books ever. I don't think oh. he put, he didn't put the All ever right. in there. But he, I did that. Uh, the book is full of uh, adventure, some bits of some bits and pieces of irony, and it has a happy ending. And he loves it. And he says, "Enjoy the homework book with five exclamation points after it." I read it. It was cute, but yeah, I can't well, say we'll it was one of my favorite books. But we will talk we'll, about it we'll later. Talk about it. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, let's talk about what else we've read this month, though. What have what has been your poison this month? Okay, well, um, I, as I said last podcast, I've been having a bit of a reading slump where I just like really didn't want to read anything, and I think I'm coming out of it slowly, slowly. Uh -huh. um, I read um, over the holidays, well, actually, like my first book of the year was um, Heart-Shaped Box by Joe Hill, mm -hmm. and um, we read... Nosferatu on the podcast or Nosfor A2 whatever <laughs> um, and I was like well what, what I wonder what his other books are like and this one was okay um, it, it was not my favorite I was like it was one of the books I probably should have put put down my, my goal for this year is to not finish books that I'm just sort of feeling eh about mm -hmm. but I did finish this one and eh yeah. It was it was not not nearly as good as Nosferatu. Um and then I read uh I read um His Majesty's Dragon by Naomi Novik, which is the first book in the Temeraire series. Ooh, what did you think of that? And I liked it a lot. I 
I started reading it over the holidays and then um, put it kind of put it down for a while. But mm-hmm. um, it, it, because like the first couple of chapters are a little slow going, but once you finally get to the the kind of the meat of the story, it really picks up mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like it's it's a really awesome premise. The the books are about the Napoleonic War, but with dragons. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And our and our our protagonist, um, Captain Lawrence, who was once part of the the British Navy, ends up ends up uh, kind of forced to bond with this dragon that hatches on board mm-hmm. his ship. And um, it's very like there's lots of swashbuckling, and it's it, I was expecting it to be a lot more um, military focused than it actually turned out to be, which in in this case was a good thing right uh i but like the friendship between between lawrence and temeraire was just really delightful to read about Mm -hmm. um and then the the last book i'll mention well and then i'll meant to say what i'm reading now but the last book i i i've read recently was uh down below station by cj cherry which is the first book according to goodreads in her um company alliance union company war whatever you want to call it series it's this massive massive series of books that she's written um and it's like uh, what i wrote about it was that that it's the kind of book that you either really like or you don't um it like i feel like if you are the kind of sci-fi fan that wants a little more swashbuckling and adventure, you're probably not going to enjoy CJ Cherry's books because a lot of the like really climactic stuff happens in meetings. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I like, but it worked for me and it was really fascinating because I think it, it's the kind of book that, that could really bear a second, a second read mm-hmm. because like there were so many characters and they all had like their own motivations and they were all, like, you know, there were some that I that I knew right away that I could root for, but then there were some that was like, well, I don't know. Like they're they're villains, but then they also kind of have understandable motivations and you know, so it was just really and, and there were some some really awesome aliens in that book too. And I was just hoping that the aliens would be okay at the end and <laughs> <laughs> um but it was it was it was fun and I and the next book in the series is the one that people that seems to be more famous, which is is Cytine, which I've threatened Aaron that we should make you all read for homework one day. Yeah, exactly. Thirty seven hours like long, some <laughs> ungodly length. Um, I actually I haven't read the book. I haven't read the one that you just read. I've read Cytine because um, when Rodney uh, worked at the university several years ago, he had uh, someone he worked with who was. Um, retiring and getting rid of a bunch of books because they were going to like sail around the world or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, so she gave him like boxes of like hardcover books with dust jackets and everything. They're almost new. And most of them are like sci-fi books. And that's where I got the Dark Angel from, the Dark Angel trilogy from, and some other really, really awesome books. But one of them happened to be Sighting. And the only thing I knew of by C.J. Cherry were some of her Channers Venture stuff, which I don't like. And so I was like, eh, I don't know. 
but it's 800 pages or ever how many pages. Yes, I know I said ever how, but that was intentional. But anyway, I don't know how many pages it is, but it's really long. So I scanned it and I got like really into it. It's it's very, very interesting that the premise is basically they, they clone someone. And is this person going to be the same person because she's a clone or is she going to be her own different person? Yeah. It's like really cool. I, so. I think that, that it's the kind of book that I, I, like, I, I bounced off of it a little bit when I tried to read it before because the, the narrator, um, Catherine Byers, I think it is, um, really didn't do very much in the way of character voices, which is not necessarily a bad thing, mm-hmm. but sometimes I couldn't tell what were supposed to be thoughts and what was supposed to be dialogue and what like people right. were actually saying versus what they were thinking. And, and so I think when I try it again, I'm going to try and like use a combination of bookshare and <laughs> bard and read it that way. Then I can at least know like what, <laughs> What's in yeah. And I know I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it again, too, because it's been like seven years since I read it. So, you know, it's been a long time. I just remember really enjoying it and wanting to read more of the series and then not doing, you know, like it's one of those put yeah. off things, not doing it and not reading the first one, um, which I'll end up doing at some point. So anyway, uh, what um, are you reading now? The last thing I was I was wanted to say that the the my current book is mm-hmm. Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie, which won like every award last year that that the science fiction community had to offer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I don't. This is another one of those books I probably should should give up on because it's good, but it's not. I I, I feel like I I read too many. Um, comments really praising this book to the skies and mm-hmm. I'm just kind of like eh, well it's it's fine but I'm not feeling I'm I'm not feeling the love yeah but it's an interesting st- like I I see why they do like it it's the the premise is that it's about a um the our main character used to be um an artificial intelligence and she used to be part of this like massive ship and she had many, many bodies and now she only has the one body and she is um, looking to uh, enact her revenge on the person that caused her to uh, (laughs) have only the one body and, and, you know, kind of crippled her and took away all this power she had. So it's kind of a thriller and, and, an adventure story and and the the really interesting thing is that it plays with gender um because the language where the character is from or the the planet where the character is from they don't really have words for gender so what the book does is it refers to everyone as she Mm -hmm. um and which is really kind of fascinating because it does kind of mess with your head a little bit even when you know that that like for example, there are a couple of characters that are explicitly stated to be either male or female. Um, but but it's like, you know, other than that, it's all she, her, female pronouns. Right. It's just like really fascinating to, to, to realize how much that actually does like matter to your assumptions as a reader. Um, so like in that way, I'm really liking it. I don't know that I that I love it, like I said, but it'll be interesting to see what what. Um, like, I don't know. I'll I'll be interesting to it'll be interesting to read like what people have written about it now once I finish the book. And right. See if I agree with any of it. Then it might be the kind of book that I like a lot more. Once you're done, <laughs> when I've had time to think about it. 
Well, I read some books that um, this month, most of my reading was done over the holidays, but um, one book I do want to mention uh, is that I actually had a reread that I'll that I'll note because it's, it's actually the book was just as good this time as it was the first time I read it, which sometimes with rereads, you know, that's not the case. Um, but I read um, a book called The Quality of Mercy by Faye Kellerman, who, as a lot of you may know, has um, a quite fun uh, mystery series set in like today, like modern day, with um, like police officers and solving crimes and stuff. And her husband, Jonathan Kellerman, has written some very fascinating uh, psychological thrillers as well. Actually, I like his books better. But um, all that said, this one is is a really good book and quite a departure from what she usually writes. It's like historical fiction, um, but it does have a mystery element because there are like two mysteries going on at the same time, but it's in like Elizabethan London. Um, and it's basically, um, William Shakespeare, you know, actually like being a real person and what might have inspired him to write The Merchant of Venice. So it's like kind of recreating his life and things that may have happened in it. Um, and she does that by taking some actual historical characters that lived and putting them, you know, into the setting along with him. So, um, we have actually one of Queen Elizabeth's, uh, physicians, is the head is like this patriarch of this um, Jewish family, but they have to be undercover because England's not real crazy about anybody who's not Church of England. And um, everyone else in Europe wants to burn Jews at the stake and stuff. So they have to, you know, not really talk about their Jewishness. And William Shakespeare just happens to fall in love with this physician's daughter, who's kind of a free-spirited, you know, for the times. Um, individual, and they just happen to meet, and and they have their own conflicts and troubles, I guess, surrounding that, and they try and help one another to solve things that are going on in their lives, like William Shakespeare's friend was murdered, and um, the girl, let's see, Rebecca, her fiancé was murdered, and so they were trying to figure out, you know, how that happens, and then they have this, like, sort of love affair type thing going on, and meanwhile, you get to meet all of Rebecca's crazy, screwed-up family who in my opinion, marry far too close in kin. Um, But that's kind of beside the point. Uh, And, you know, societal prejudices aside. But, um, you know, no, like, weird brother-sister stuff or anything like that. But, you know, first cousins marrying, it's, like, not a big deal. Uh, I guess that's just, you know, kind of like the times you live in. But... um, yeah, it was really, it was really good. I think it was a little bit, it's a little bit overlong. Like, oh my God, is this really 23 hours? So of course I sped it up, you know, a good deal this time uh, because that way I could get through it faster. But um, all that said, it took me like two weeks to get through it because I'm doing so much other stuff. But um, I do think that it's a really worthwhile read. If you know a lot of, I'm noticing a trend in the reviews I'm reading of, of this book. If you know a lot of Faye Kellerman's modern mystery stuff and you know her by that, this is going to be hard for you to get into. But I have the advantage of not reading anything of hers before I read this. So it was like this was the first thing of hers I ever read. So I didn't have any preconceptions about what her writing was supposed to be like, what kinds of things she's supposed to write about, and um, that didn't color my perception of it. Um. Another series that I listened to on Audible because I was totally crazy and just went ahead and downloaded all three books because there was some kind of holiday sale going on um, 
I'm not exactly sure what the series is called, but the first book is called Extinction Point. It's by Paul Anthony Jones. And it's basically a trilogy about, well, this virus comes to Earth and causes everything, all life on Earth to mutate into something else. Um, And the few humans who are either immune or somehow survive have to come together and learn to cope with this different planet that they now live on. Um, you know, life is completely, has completely changed. And it was just, the first book especially was really creepy because this woman thinks that she is all alone on earth. Um, she's apparently the only one in New York, in like New York City, who's immune to this virus. And well, everyone and everything around her, including plants and animals and people, and everything is changing into something else you know, basically things that are unrecognizable. There aren't any words for them, really, like big spider creatures and real strange trees and the animals, like the parts of animals, like make themselves into these big plant-like creatures. It's very weird. Um, While all this is going on, she's trying to figure out, A, how to get out of New York City, and B, how to find other people. And she eventually does all of that in the first book. Um... And then in the second book, she, you know, they figure out more about the virus and she finds some other people. And the third book kind of wraps things up. Where did this come from? And why did it even happen? And all this. Um, And it's just, they're very good. They're very short. And they're not, it's not especially light reading, but they're not that long either. Um, She's a very, like, very well-written female character, you know, for, for a man to write such a good female character and a, you know, very well-balanced heroine, um, I think, anyway. And one thing that I thought was really sweet was the first book. Um, She thought she was all alone, and she finally gets out of New York City, and she finds a dog who apparently didn't catch the virus. And she and this dog bond, um, and their relationship is just so sweet um, throughout the whole, you know, the whole book. And, you know, he saves her life, she saves his life a couple times, and and um, they have to basically get to Alaska together, um, mostly on their own. And it's just, um, it was a really, like, really nice little story. So um, I enjoyed those books. Um, And I read a couple of things on Kindle. Actually, one book I'm reading while I'm exercising, but I may not stick with it. Uh, I may, I'm trying to make that a goal too, to kind of abandon books that don't really catch my fancy. Um, one book I did enjoy that I read on Kindle was um, The Haunting of Bourbon Street by Deanna Chase. And this is a book that just happened to be free one day, and I just grabbed it. Um, it's also, you know, been done on Audible, so it's like got Whisper Sync and all this cool stuff. But um, the protagonist, Jade, is um, like a te- sort of like a telepath, like she feels people's feelings and emotions. And her apartment happens to be haunted by this ghost and her neighbor's apartment is haunted by this different ghost and they're trying to get their apartments not haunted by ghosts anymore and it was really cute and there's like a little sweet romance in there um and apparently it's the first book in a series so it's not one of those books where you know this is going to be my favorite read of the month but it was is very very sweet um and um a nice a nice light read uh, with a little, you know, a little of that paranormal kind of thrown in there. So it was fun. And the last book that I don't think I'm going to stick with um, is called 
it's it's a book that I decided to start reading because again it was free it was on the Kindle and I'm participating in a reading challenge where you have to read 52 different kinds of books a year we'll talk about reading challenges in a second but this is one book that is in one of the categories it's one word titles and the title of this book is flight by Neil Hetzner and um, I don't know whether this is this author's first like first book or not but it's so like loaded with metaphors and similes and they're very distracting and not necessary and that's one of the things that I think is going to make me probably put it down Um, but it's about a girl who's basically a teenager it's about a hundred years from now and people have mutated in such a way well it's not a natural mutation it's basically genetically engineered so that you can purchase the ability to fly when you're a teenager And so for most teenagers, that's like what they want. They don't want cars anymore. They want wings instead. Um, I don't know what it is. People just have this fascination with flight. But um, which sounded like a really interesting concept. But the teenage angst is is like way overblown, I think. And like I said, the similes and metaphors are a little bit distracting. So I'm not sure if I'm going to stick with it. Um, She's trying to find out things about her mother's death. And, you know, all very laudable. And, you know, a nice young adult premise but it's just the writing style is just not it's not doing it for me so I may not stay with it um but in a nutshell that's what I've been reading and like I said most of it was during the first few days of January so we'll see what the rest of the month brings okay all righty then um onward and upward let's revisit this kind of thing of reading challenges because we've been mentioning it over the past you know several minutes and not really discussing um what we're talking about but there are i don't know whether this is a thing just this year i don't think so like every year in january i keep seeing these articles about reading challenges and here are some reading challenges and goals you can have for 2015 what are yours And over the past several years, I've never participated in any of them, Uh, but we'll put the links to a couple of articles up in the show notes so that you can see kind of what we're talking about. Basically, it's either, you know, it's anything from reading a certain number of books a year to reading books in different categories, Um, you know, and, and just, you know, whatever reading challenge you want, you can put together for yourself. But if you want guidance, we have some suggestions. Um... One thing that I found, um, I found it through an email list, the challenge that I decided to participate in. Um, It's basically 52 books over the course of a year in various categories. Um, It could be anything from a funny book to a book your mom loves to a graphic novel. I'm not so sure what I'm going to do about that one yet. Uh, To a play to, and there are lots of different categories in there. And I thought it would be fun to participate in. I think at this point, you know, I've read only one, but after, you know, after February, and I'm, and I'm a little less busy, I may have some more time to to get up to the, you know, 52 mark. Um, but that's basically, um, you know, in a nutshell, what reading challenges are. Have you decided to take part in one this year? Um, I, I think that most of the reading challenges I kind of want to set for myself are uh, not anything really very official. I think I'm going to, I want to try that, that one that, cause I, I'm on the same email list you are. Um, so I'm going to see what happens with that um, and see if there, you know, I might find something interesting in there. 
but I'm not going to really stress about it. I'm just going to see how many of the books I would read normally <laughs> would fit into any of the categories. Yeah, I'm kind of planning to do that too. I picked some books to put in each in most of the categories just because I want to broaden my horizons a bit and get into, you know, authors that I've never read before. And so I intentionally picked some things that I may not otherwise have done. But, you know, if I stray from that or don't read them or read something else in their places, I'm not going to stress over it. Yeah. And like so. I said earlier, like, my goal is to try to read fewer books that, that or to try to read um, more books that I actually want to finish mm -hmm. and, and to, like, let the ones go that I'm not totally loving, um, which is really hard for me because... I can always find an excuse to stay with the book. Even I know, I, I, I can too. Let it go. Isn't there a song in there somewhere? <laughs> Frozen. <laughs> um, and my other goal is to try to, like, again, always a goal is to try to finish some series that I've started and not, not finished. Yeah, not good. Um, speaking of things that are going to be in the show notes that you should not stress over, like reading challenges, um, we have a whole bunch of things from BuzzFeed. Um, at the end of 2014, they put out a series of articles about best ofs. And we have like the best nonfiction books of 2014, the best fiction the best young adult books, which I'm actually really looking forward to reading Marie Lu's Elites um, series that was on that on that list. And the best, most, the, no, I'm sorry, the most exciting debut novels in 2014. None of the authors I have ever heard of. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's why they're debut novels. Um, oh, right. You know, but um, we have that up there in case you're interested in broadening your horizons a bit and want to check out some of these, you know, some of these books. Those are going to be on there. Um, let's see. In a bit of, and I'm taking these in no particular, whoops, I am taking these in no particular order. Um, in a bit of fluff news, uh, last week, as you may know, there was a terrorist attack in Paris at a newspaper. And apparently Rupert Murdoch and J.K. Rowling got into a bit of a spat on Twitter about um, this whole incident, or it arose out of this incident. Um, and basically Rupert Murdoch was saying that all Muslims should take responsibility for the small but yet very vocal minority of them that are crazy freaks. Um, <laughs> and uh, J.K. Rowling kind of took offense to that and was kind of like, well, why should most Muslims who are the majority peace-loving individuals take responsibility for the minority of them who are not. It's like telling all Christians that they should uh, try and make up for the crusades that happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Um, and so you can read about that whole thing, and it drew in people from all over the world, and all kinds of people started commenting on it on Twitter. And so the article just shows you those kinds of things. Uh, speeding along in the uh, Twitterverse, if you will, uh, it was like this fun little gimmicky thing to read. Um, let's, uh, okay, and speaking of children's books and J.K. Rowling, um, there apparently was a sharp decline in the number of children who read for fun, according to a study 
that the Guardian put out. I don't I mean they didn't do the study, but they wrote about it, and that's where I found the article. Um, I've seen similar articles over the past few weeks, like floating around. So I'm not sure who did the study, but it was done of about oh, a couple, like 2,500 children or something between the ages of uh, six and 18, I believe, and a sharp decline in reading for fun happens around age eight. And kids say that either there are so many school pressures or so many other distractions that they don't like reading for fun anymore. And kids that keep reading alive tend to be those who have had, uh, who have been read aloud to when they are really, really young, like before the age of five, uh, you know, several days a week at night before going to bed, for instance. Um, they tend to keep reading for pleasure longer than those who did not, which I found very interesting. Um, it, it makes me think of my own reading habits um, when, I was, when I was growing up and the fact that my parents did read aloud to me every, almost every night. Um, yeah, mine did too. Every, everything from like, I had this like hardcover children's Bible which had like Bible stories in it from the Old and New Testaments and everything from that to like Nancy Drew books and um, number nine, the little red fire engine and just, you know, all, all sorts of, sure. all sorts of yeah. things. I don't know if you ever read that book, but the, I always thought that was cute. Um, little, the little fire engine that could instead of the little train engine that could. It was kind right, of a right. similar premise. Um, anyway, excuse me. Uh, and so, you know, all kinds of things up until, you know, like up until I was like nine or 10, we used to, they still used to read, like I was on this Nancy Drew kick and I couldn't get them from the library. They didn't have them all. Um, and a neighbor friend of mine, well, a friend of my mom's really, but she had like a lot of the old original hardcover Nancy Drew books and she loaned oh, them nice. to, it loaned them to my parents so that they could read them to me because the library didn't have them. So it was so cool. Like they read a whole bunch of them to me over a two or three year period. Um, so, did your parents read to you when you were growing up? They did. Um, and I, I think that, that there's probably something to that study. Um, I know that, that, like, the children in my life, my, my, my nine-year-old niece is, is not, not a fan of reading for pleasure. Like, really actively kind of thinks that the whole hobby is, is a, like, why would you want to do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that there probably is something to be said for, you know, like parents reading aloud to their kids at night. And then also, you know, um, like there are so many distractions for kids, especially like in this day and age with so many handheld products. I mean, I don't, I, you know, my, my niece has always got like either an iPod or her Kindle in, in hand and, you know, it's. And with those things, you know, when there's so much, like, more video content and, you know, games you can play, then the books are definitely going to be, um, <clears throat> like, you know, on the on the back burner. But I think also that sometimes these studies get a little, like, like I don't, I never quite know how much the, the sky is actually falling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like it's not necessarily... Like, as bad as all that, there are always going to be kids that are going to want to read for pleasure. And, and you know, it, it's something that you have to learn to do anyway. And, and you know, sometimes it just, you know, there it might not be as high in numbers as, as the, the policy wonks or whatever would like it to be. But, right. you know, like, there, there are 
the, every time I see things about like, oh, you know, sales are declining and, you know, with libraries going out of business and books, like there are people sooner and they're not going to be, I just don't think that's true. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's kind of like, you know, you, you don't, you know, you don't know how, how to take it. Should you, you should uh -huh. take it as a warning basically and not as, right. oh my God, the world is ending. Uh, <laughs> So basically, I thought that was just interesting to point out, and yeah. there may be some to it, but I wouldn't take it as gospel in that the world is going to continue to fall apart. Um, another study, ooh, all these studies, uh, actually was kind of interesting that came out that, that and I, we may have talked about this before, but I don't remember if we did or not, um, that it has been shown that um, people who use e-readers when they read before they go to bed have a harder time falling asleep than people who just read regular old books or even than people who just listen to books like Audible. Um, and apparently it's the way in which the e-readers, the lighting on the newer yeah. e-readers especially, how the lighting works. Um, the You know, it, it it's... It kind of went into some details that I didn't understand, but how it, um, you know, triggers these things within you that make you stay awake because of the way that, um, you know, the brightness of it. Um, and apparently, people who have older Kindles don't have that problem, but the newer Kindles hmm. and the iPads and the iPods or the iWhatevers um, or the newer, you know, like Android devices, tablets and things have brighter displays and they cause people to stay awake a few minutes longer than other you know, I mean, I don't think it's anything drastic, but, you know, it, it was just something to point out that, um, that has been noticed. So if you use a newer Kindle or e-reading device and are having trouble getting to sleep, now we know why. Um, I, I feel like that's, you know, I'm, I'm just glad that usually, you know, for me, it's an audible book, you know, and so right. I... With the with the devices that I have at my disposal, you know, I use my Victor Reader Stream to listen to books at night, and then my phone is usually plugged into the docking station so I can have music, you know. So, yeah, I guess I see what yeah. they're saying, but I'm just like I, I um, feel a little smug. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, from my perspective, I think um, I learned something from this study. I thought, well, I wonder, you know, because I read something similar a couple of months ago, and I thought. Um, I wonder what would happen if you changed the sound of what you listened to when you went to sleep. Uh, for those of us who are primarily audio files. So I, when I went to sleep, um, you know, especially if I like go to bed before my husband does or something I read and um, I don't have headphones on, but I have a pair of speakers that are set up or that were set up um, that gave, you know, my Victor reader stream obviously doesn't have that great of a speaker. So it gives it just a little bit of, you know, a little bit of bass, you know, not very much because they're not great. I mean, the speakers aren't tremendous, but just a little bit. So it doesn't sound so tinny. Well, I found that I was waking up at night. Sometimes if, if I had left it on or something and, and, you know, like I would be asleep for a few minutes and, you know, this is before he came in or whatever. And I would keep waking up and I thought, Hmm, I wonder why that is. So now I have realized that part of it is I took those speakers out and that bass sound isn't preventing me from getting to sleep. Yeah. So, you know, I have to reach over and turn it off. And I'm like, oh, mo most of the time it's I turn it off and I'm like, wow, I've been asleep instead of, oh, haven't been asleep yet. So Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting thought. I mean, what I... I've thought about getting speakers for mine, but I think like the same, this, like, 
I have the same sort of instinctive reservations that that you do about that because like you know I already have music on the back like on in the background <laughs> you know it's so like two sets of speakers going wow I feel like that would be a little too much that would be a little much yeah I think uh, and I don't want to give up the music because I like to have it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so but I've been you know really just making use of the sleep timer function on mm-hmm. my on my stream and and ho- hopefully remembering to roll over and put it on my nightstand when, <laughs> when it looks like I'm about to fall asleep. Some Otherwise, you're like rolling onto it, and that wouldn't be yeah. Good. Um, and last but not least, Mark Zuckerberg is starting a Facebook book club, and like a whole bunch of people, 160 thousand people have joined so far. Um, The first book that he's going to read for the book club, The End of Power by Moses Naim. I don't know. Something like that. Anyway, uh, this book talks about what has happened now that more power has been given to individuals around the world, which used to be held by government agencies in the military. Uh, The paperback edition of The End of Power temporarily ran out of stock last week on Amazon <laughs> after Zuckerberg's announcement. Uh, it's now in the top 20 of Amazon's best sellers in the book product category. I'll be. But anyway, this is one of his efforts to kind of like give back to the world or whatever and say what you want about Zuckerberg, but he does do a lot of charitable things. Uh, and so this is like a weird, like, freaky thing that he's he's trying to do. Uh, I am not joining the book club because I have this feeling that he's going to read a lot of, like, really intellectual books. And let's face it, I don't read for intellectual reasons when I don't have to. So uh, I'm probably not going to be joining. But if I just that's don't want to join the book club because it's Facebook. Yeah, I know. It's Facebook. <laughs> so, but if that's your thing, you can find it. Um, it does have a Facebook page and you can search for it. Uh, and, of course, we will put the link into the show notes so that you can find find it there uh and you know that's really it um there was some you know just minor like publishing news i don't know harlequin yeah uh, was purchased by harper collins and you know lots of mergers and acquisitions went down in 2014 and we'll put a story there as well about that but you know nothing really worth repeating that we don't already know uh in that arena as well but a nice sum up of the uh industry uh industry-wide business news for those of you who like that kind of thing and that will be in there as well meanwhile is there any other news that you wanted to talk about Uh, no i think we're good let's move on to the homework let's finally move on to the homework for this (laughs) month which was the christmas train by david baldacci and this is the first david baldacci book i've ever read so i didn't go into it with any (laughs) preconceptions of oh my god i have to be reading a thriller um and meanwhile what what did you think of it well um I thought it was fine. I I would not have said that it was my favorite book ever, James. Sorry, um, but I I was a little. It was a nice story. It was uh, um, like very heartwarming. I could see it being like you know a Hallmark movie of the week kind of <laughs> kind of thing. I'm surprised they haven't made um, it into a Hallmark movie. Come to think of it, no, they probably have. I <laughs> but and I didn't have any real like preconceived notions about the book either I, I did I probably won't read any other David Baldacci books because um one I thought that he had a tendency he must have done a lot of research and you can tell he did a lot of research because it all made it into the book 
Like, whether it needed to be in there or not. There were, like, these whole paragraphs where it was like, you know, so, did you did you enjoy your coffee in the morning? And then it's like, well, the trains hadn't started serving coffee until 1865 when <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it was just a little, like... It it was a bit, it was a bit much. It was like, oh, David Baldacci, did did we really like fascinating as this stuff is to you? Like, it kind of reminded me of, of like that one relative that that we all probably have at some point that just like doesn't really care exactly what's coming out of his mouth as long as he gets to say to talk you know who it reminded me of that that guy that knew all the stuff about trains it reminded me of cliff on cheers like (laughs) cliff was the mailman and he would just say the stupidest things that were not true but he would say them just to hear himself talk and that's what that guy reminded me of it was like the same kind of deal and, and it, I mean, like some of it was was legitimately interesting. Oh yeah, but it, some. But I mean, it was also like <laughs> it was a little like he definitely used like put every single bit of research he found in there. Yeah. And yeah. I, I have to say that I was a little like, I don't know. It it was it definitely felt like a book that was written by and for a specific kind of reader that I'm not, um, because like our. Our character, Tom, I forgot his last name. I forget it. Um, I forget it. Yeah, Tom. <laughs> Tom. Yeah, he he's like, like he's he's super competent, except for like the things that he's not supposed to be competent at, like talking to women that are his love interest. Like he can talk to any other woman, just you know, not, not that, that one. one. <laughs> and. And it was a little like, and then there were a couple of, there were a couple of moments like with um, Agnes Joe in particular, like she was, it, it really sort of bothered me that she was like portrayed as this like fat, clumsy woman and like her whole character arc seemed like, until the very end, there was a lot of LOL, <laughs> look at her, she's fat and obnoxious and fat. <laughs> And it was just like I don't know it 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 didn't um, it was just like one of those joke it it wasn't a particularly funny thing to, thing for me in the first place and then after a while it just kept he just kept going got kind of old yeah. I, I felt like the thing with Agnes Joe wasn't really explained very well like why did she do what she did it it just didn't seem to have much of an explanation. I'm not at I'm the not risk really of sure giving either. away a spoiler or two for those of you who haven't read it. Um, yeah, she was involved in sort of like the whole mystery that was going on in the train, and it was like, well, what was her reason for doing? I mean, I always want to know the reason why people do things. I guess it's just me. It just wasn't really explained to my satisfaction and why no, she did it. Was, she was just kind of like. I mean, I got that she was this, like, you know, railroad police security person. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just, it was very clumsy, I thought. Yeah, I, I kind of I agree. Like I liked it in a sense because it was like, this is a book with a nice happy ending, a nice yeah. candy, you know, sweetness for the holidays kind of book. But in another sense, it was kind of like, I don't think I would be reading this book at all if we didn't have to do book orders. Like, I think I would have probably you know abandoned it if 
if we yeah. didn't have it. I mean, that yeah. said, it wasn't as bad as, you know, like the Being Invisible book that we read, the Thomas Berger no, book no. from hell. Um, but, you know, and on, you know, on another level, I just, I was kind of like, eh, okay. And, and I mean, you know, Julie is in tears one minute and happy the next minute and in tears one minute and happy the next minute. And I felt like, you know, that's a little bit overblown. The, you know, the bride and groom thing and, and, yeah. you know, just, just a little bit. I just felt like it was just and kind then, of exaggerated, all of it. And then that it was all like, because like the movie director wanted his like head screenwriter to be happy, like, and, and, and it was all this big sham and, and I think what really bothered me about that in particular was that I didn't, I would have rather that Tom not have figured that out. Like, can't he just be happy that he got, like, the love of his life back and didn't, like, what did it matter to him? That, like, whether it was all, like, this big <laughs> giant joke that he figured, like, you know, like, why did he, why did he I have know, to? I know, I felt like the fact that it was a big plan took the fun out of it. Yeah, yeah. I would much rather if it had been he found his love his love on the train. Oh, what a small world. Now let's get married. Rather yeah. than we set this whole thing up. That that just to me it just took the romance out of it. Yeah. It it, it really was just not not good that as a romance or No, it really wasn't. Or as a thriller. <laughs> no. I mean it was like it was one of those things like I said like I'm glad that I, I read it, if for no other reason than I was just like sitting back on the holidays and wanted some light reading, but it just didn't, yeah. it didn't really work for me. Um, it's not a very on, good, on like, all if, levels. if we could have picked something that would have had like some meat for discussion, like this wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, this wasn't really it. much that that's good for discussion, but I guess that's okay because we rambled on a lot. <laughs> for a long time. For a long time. And, um, you know, sometimes we'll have a book like that that's not really good for discussion. Um, next month's book, however, is ripe for discussion, it as is. they say. Um, next month, we will be reading a short yet very powerful book called Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. Um, don't worry about spelling Fahrenheit correctly. A search engine will pick it up and you will be able to find it. Uh, if you... <laughs> Look on Bard. Of course, you can look under Ray Bradbury. And Bookshare yeah. has it. Audible has several versions of this. I would recommend the one by Tim Robbins because I hear it's outstanding. I don't have an Audible version, but I hear that his version is really, really good. Um, that said, the Bard version was decent. I read that a few years ago. And this is a book that I have read several times and keep coming back to again and again because each time I find that it has something new and different to say. Uh, to me personally. So um, all that said, be sure to check that out. And, um, you know, we, we'll talk about it next time uh, yes. on Book Wars. And I've never read it. I've, I've always meant to and never have. So this will be yet another one of those those things where I fill a gap in my literary education. There you go. Um, and it is from the 1950s, but it still has things to say, you know, to us today. And there was a movie that was made out of it in the 60s or 70s. And I don't know how popular it was, but I think it got, well, I mean, in the mainstream, but I think it got awards. So it had to have been, you know, sort of well known for the times, but I think it was before we were born. Yeah. Um, so you can watch that if you can yeah, find it. On absolutely. <laughs> it may be on YouTube for all I know. Yeah. Um. 
And if you want to contact us between now and the next time we record, because I know even though this has just been put out, some of you can't hardly wait for the next episode. Uh, you can contact Shannon by going to flightintofantasy.com, which is her blog, or uh, she is Bard Song on Twitter. Of course, you can contact the podcast itself, Book Hoarders on Twitter, or bhapodcast.com. And if you want to, yes, bhapodcast.com. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on, okay. <laughs> on your line there. Uh, and if you want to contact Erin, you can contact her on Twitter at Erin Edgar. And, and uh, also, I'm trying to rejuvenate my blog. It's not going as well as I would have hoped because I've been otherwise busy, but I'm trying to set myself a goal to write one post per week just yay. to start it off. And so you can find that at eclecticstrand.com. Very nice. Kind of weird and WordPressy errors come up when I publish stuff, but it should be readable. <laughs> um, and. Um, like I said, there's only a couple of posts there at the moment, but I'm trying to put more things in it. So we'll see what happens with that. Meanwhile, um, I forgot to mention that you can also email us at bhapodcast at gmail.com. So until... And please do that. We love absolutely. listener mail. We love listener mail. And, you know, speaking of listener mail, I totally forgot about one of our listener mails. Oh, we did, didn't we? We both forgot. Uh, Karen Mitchell graciously emailed us with a list of apps for smartphones that can help keep track of your reading and reading goals and um, authors you read and things like that. So I don't know if any of these are available for Android, but I will have links to the Apple versions in the show notes. Uh, one of the apps is called I Read It Now. That's all one word. And it's kind of like Goodreads, but a little less sophisticated. Um, you can keep track of the books you're reading and um, share on Facebook and Twitter when you've read a book and finished a book and started a book and things like that. Um, fiction DB is kind of the same, but it specializes in fiction books. I haven't tried this that app out yet. Um, but the other app that I'm really, really looking forward to is Tell Me When. Uh, and basically, you can put in an author's name and it will monitor, I guess, databases and try and find out when that author is coming out with a new book. That's very exciting. Yeah. Like, I'm always needing to know that, that information yeah. myself. Yeah. I, I am always kind of one of those people that's like, they did? They came out with a new book six months ago? Oh, Why didn't I know that? Oh. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to trying out that, that app as well. Um, so just to reiterate our contact details, since we got off on a tangent there, uh, thank you, Karen, again for those apps. And please continue to email us, anybody who would like to recommend things, uh, to bhapodcast at gmail.com and tweet us at book orders. Yes. And um, until, this until next time, we will close out for now and simply say bye bye oh i just hung it up oh, jesus who said i was smart to contact the book hoarders send email to bhapodcast at gmail.com follow book hoarders on twitter Call us at 520-81-BOOKS, 520-812-6657, and visit the website at bhapodcast.com.